Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And the University of Washington Huskies just beat the number six Oregon Ducks, handed them a first loss in conference play, knocked them out of the race for the college football playoff. And even though it was only, I believe, what, a two-game losing streak in the series, it felt like a lot more. Or it was three games, I guess, three. It felt like a lot more, and it was badly needed, and it was amazing. And let's fucking go! Ugg's <laughs> house! You Go often talk retire, bitch. <laughs> On that fourth down play that Oregon didn't pick up, where the Huskies got the ball back at the 30 or whatever, I let out the most visceral grunt I have ever let out in my entire <laughs> life. It was like it, it was inhuman what happened to my body when seeing the Huskies get a stop in this game to get the ball back in that situation with a chance to beat motherfucking Oregon for the first time in two decades. So you often talk on these podcasts. Figuratively speaking. speaking. Yeah, I wasn't going to fact check that one. You often talk in this podcast about seeing the darkness. We saw the fuck out of the darkness after that Penix interception at the one, followed by Oregon just meticulously pounding the ball down the field in a drive that Pete Carroll would have loved, continuously picking up hey, first hey, downs hey, on the run. Hey, don't you dare about new Pete Carroll. <laughs> Fair, but you have to admit, he, he's watching he's watching Oregon's run game and like, can we draft some of these guys? He definitely wants to take Bucky Irving. We but saw the darkness. We saw so we much saw of the beyond the darkness. The game was over. The game was over. I mean... Like there was just, it felt like hopeless the idea of trying to stop them, especially because even when the Huskies were able to get them to like, they never got them to fourth down until, until they did. But they, even when they got them to third down, it was like third and one. It's like, okay, Bo Nix is just going to sneak and get this. And it's not even going to be a question until Bo Nix was unable to do it. And you got to give a lot of credit. Like, obviously this was not a game, a great game for the defense necessarily, even though I guess they became the first team to hold Oregon under 40 points to Georgia. So maybe it was, but taking the time out there and then coming out in a formation that they knew was going to tempt Bo Nix to run the ball on the keeper and Alex Cook being perfectly positioned to come up and look, a lot of guys were in perfect position today and didn't make tackles. He did on that play and it completely changed everything. There was one tackle that mattered in this entire fucking game and Alex Cook made it, and that's all that matters. Baiting them into the play. If you can know what the other team is doing before the play happens, which the Huskies knew, they knew. We all fucking knew what was coming, right? The broadcast knew. knew. We knew. The stadium, everybody at Autzen Stadium knew. Everybody on the Husky sideline knew what was coming that play. And to be able to make the play and execute the tackle, that's all that matters. They baited them into it. They ran it perfectly. Alex Cook made a an organ winning tackle. I somehow we've gotten this far in the emergency podcast, and we haven't mentioned Michael Penix Jr.'s touchdown throw because this the Huskies were still down a touchdown when they got the ball back after that stop. And 
you know, you assumed that they had a pretty good chance of scoring the way that they were moving the ball all day, where, you know, the stops in this game were they get the ball at their own one yard line. Uh, they kick a couple field goals and then Penix gets picked off at the one yard line after a 98 yard drive, which had to be like the longest drive in Husky history that didn't result in points. But they started at the one half yard line after yes, the ball started. Yeah. Uh, when Penix threw that ball on third and seven, my first thought was seeing the Oregon safety. Oh, that's going to get picked. You thought that was motherfucking Kenny Wheaton out there. But, but Kenny Wheaton is gone. That whole motherfucking era is over. And there is a brand new era that exists. And we own motherfucking Autzen Stadium. It's our house now. It is Dog's house. 23 straight wins in a row. Get the fuck out of here. There's now one loss in a row at home. For Oregon at Autzen Stadium. And it is two of these dogs. The only thing, the only thing that I begrudge about it is that we didn't get to be there. We didn't get this at Husky Stadium to celebrate a victory against Oregon literally for the first time, I think, in two decades. <laughs> Again, not fact-checking. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about looking up the list of quarterbacks, uh, UW quarterbacks to beat Oregon because it was it's Jake Browning. And then before that, I'm not sure who was who started that game as part of the Northwest Championship. I'd have to go look that up, and I didn't. But there's been a lot of UW quarterbacks, a lot of very successful UW quarterbacks, who did not beat Oregon one time. Michael Penix Jr., we'll see if it's his only time against Oregon. He's one for one to start. And also, even with the interception, I mean, this was one of the great quarterback games in UW football history, without question. Look up how many coaches didn't beat Oregon during that time period. Oh, also. yes, that's true. Good point. Because Kalen DeBoer came in here tasked in his first season with facing one of the best Oregon teams we've seen in a long time. And he went into Oregon and beat them in this game, having a near perfect game plan offensively, offensively, a near perfect game plan. That offense was unstoppable in this game. Literally. I mean, you, you outlined the times that they were stopped. It was a fourth down that they were planning on probably going for it or faking a field goal. It was starting with the ball from the two. It was, and even having the ball from the one the next time, having an interception that they marched the ball from the half-yard line to the one-yard line after that, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, like, Penix has been awesome all season, obviously. The offense has been awesome all season. But they were never called upon, needed to do this much, and came through. Because what we had seen... The, the concern after that Penix interception was it was going to be the same story as Arizona State and UCLA, where the offense was great in the aggregate, but needed to be perfect because of the fact that the defense couldn't come up with enough stops in those games. And it looked like that was going to be the same thing here, and it wasn't quite the case. And the offense wasn't perfect, but the defense made just enough plays. The same time, after the Huskies, they get they get the fourth down stop, they kick the field goal. We're debating about whether this field goal was the right move or not. I still don't know if the field goal was the right move. I didn't love the I, I didn't love that drive that Oregon had at the end of the game. They still didn't get that oh, far. It was though. terrifying. They they didn't the the reason they kicked it, it all ended up making sense, but we did not want to see Bo Nix one more time. And you have to give the Husky defense credit as well. When Bo Nix wasn't on the field, all of a sudden they could tackle. He even injured Bo Nix was completely terrifying. But yeah, I mean, so many decisions in this game. Like, one of the things I think about is, 
I don't know if there's going to be Oregon emergency pods in the wake of this game. Be the, there's there's not this celebration that we're having over here at UW. Uh, there, there's going to be a lot of decisions to second guess on the Oregon side, having lost this game, including the decision to go for it on fourth and one in your own territory. But no, they were not they were not stopping that UW offense. They know. Look, look, we outlined the times that they punted. I don't think Dan Lanning made. The only decision that I thought was maybe questionable was the fourth down at the end of the first half. But at some point, that just didn't end up mattering all that much. There's so much scoring in the second half. Ultimately, Dan Lanning, decision-wise, I think pretty much had a perfect game, all things he was, considered. He was certainly way more aggressive than Kalen DeBoer was in this game. Now, it did seem with Dylan Morris out there at is the holder that they were planning to go for it, uh, to fake a field goal on fourth and one when they ended up getting the the full start penalty on Peyton Henry, which is not that they have ever seen before. And I guess, I assume if it was going to be a fake, he was motioning there, not actually going to kick, which I don't understand oh, how that's so not legal. He was motioning up to go under center or something. I, my guess is he was going to go like move through, go through the formation and become an eligible receiver. But there were some strange I, angles in this game too. We we may know more about that by the time you listen to this, because Kalen Moore will talk to the media post game and then they get the penalty and then they get another penalty. And there was some sort of confrontation on the sideline between Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grove. It seemed like uh, over not having a play ready to go in that situation. It was quite a fascinating thing, but one of the many things that will be forgotten. So you, thought, you thought maybe with the second penalty, he was going to send the offense back out, but Grubb didn't have a play ready. That's what it seemed like to me, okay. given the tension between them on the on the <laughs> sideline. I mean, just so many wild swings. I will say, I will say, I hope game. Galen DeBoer after that second half does not begrudge Ryan Grubb. <laughs> I don't think so. At I no think, point do I think you could be upset about the offensive coordination. I, I think it's like when you and I, I, when I get angry at you after a Pelton cast, and other than the couple of years we didn't record any episodes, it oh, usually gosh. doesn't last until the next day. Can we also fucking talk about how close we were to chaos happening in this game at the end of that game? Having this, just the rule that you could go down with literally any injury when the clock is stopped. I mean, and it's, it's just like, oh, oh, it's a leg cramp. Dog, I've had leg cramps all the time, right? It, it's a very this NCAA rule has thing. To be fixed, and it also is the most fucking organ thing to do of all the things to have happen. Having that happen in this situation and still winning the game that makes it even sweeter that's more than seeing the darkness these motherfuckers went out of their way to cheat the system and still lost i mean i think oregon fans would point out that they saw people fake injuries against their chip kelly offense all the time including i well, believe chip there was kelly a UW game where like through that door six guys went down so that was a, a generation ago because you know what that era is over and it ended today I like that somehow it didn't end when we beat Oregon 17 to 3. 70 to 21. Was, was that the score? Yeah. All right. They showed they showed it numerous. 72 times. three touchdowns. Uh I mean, offensively, we're gonna talk about some other people. I mean, Jalen Polk with the 76 yard touchdown. Jalen McMillan, huge catches all game. The Roman Dudesay every time seemed to be open for and not he, every time Roma Dudesay caught the ball, he was like right at the sticks that he ended up. And, and then obviously Taj Davis scoring the touchdown on that Pedix throw is is Zach po Whitman pointed out on Twitter. Hopefully that touchdown becomes as iconic a moment to play for the next 30 years is the aforementioned Kenny Wheaton interception pick six was for the past 30. Not quite technically, but all of those, but also 
the offensive line too, protecting Michael yep. Penix in this game. The, the coordination of moving the pocket when they had to move the pocket, getting Penix into space. It was near perfect. Wayne Talapapa didn't do a ton in the second half, but the touchdown run that he had, a couple of short yardage pickups that we probably took for granted, didn't get a couple of them also, but Cam Davis picking up first downs in very, very crucial moments in the third quarter. Like, this was across the board, an incredible offensive game, schemed and executed. One thing I, I did. This team, literally we played Oregon a year ago to this day, if you can believe it. No, <laughs> not technically. And the program ended immediately after that. The season ended after the Huskies played Oregon, and the the whole era ended in that moment, right? It was it was Chris Peterson into Jimmy Lake. It was a bit of a continuation, right? Jimmy Lake obviously had a different approach than Chris Peterson did, but Kalen DeBoer had to come in and reset things, and to one year later be able to go on the road. And to beat Oregon, a better Oregon team than the one that we faced last year, for what it's worth, also, and have that happen in in such a fast period of time is a testament to just how incredible of a season Kalen DeBoer has had here at UW. Yeah, and to Michael Penix Jr. coming in and taking advantage of all the skill talent. Year. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like you look back at that game, they were scared to go for a fourth down and punted, and I justify that it was a reasonable decision to punt down whatever oh, they were man, that was that game yeah it was all that game a lot happened in that wow, game we were man. busy fighting about that decision at the end of the game not even knowing that jimmy lake was pushing players i think we did know by that point i think we had read it on twitter we weren't sure how bad it was uh but like there was there was that little reason to have faith in your own offense and now you're in a situation where you're you have complete faith in the offense at every single turn and that's a, even even if it's resulted in some shaky defensive performances, it's a much more fun place to be. It's incredible. It's great. This was the best win against Oregon of our lifetimes. I still think the ending the streak in the fashion that you did that, in two thousand six. That was also a beautiful game. thing. That was a beautiful thing was pretty incredible. But we didn't see the darkness in the same way. It wasn't the incredible game. It was just like we right. we pounded them and laid it on them and that was incredible this one we saw the darkness all the way through to the end i'm happy that bonix came back for that last drive also so they can't be like Oregon can't come back oh they, they're like, still going to be for sure have fun dog have fun the other name we need to mention in this podcast peyton what, what henry drinking eugene Oregon, <laughs> cry into your kombucha eugene i think sadly their version of rainier is rainier uh peyton henry Four years ago, Tears all over their chia seeds. Four years ago in Eugene, overtime loss for the Huskies. He had a chance to kick the game-winning field goal. Oh my god! Uh, at the end of regulation, missed it. This time, I I was oh very, very nervous when he was described by Jason Benetti on the broadcast. Is the second consecutive week with a game-winning field goal by Peyton Henry because there was a lot of time left on the clock to make oh, it. But yeah, now yeah. it was. That it was, was not in for fact, all the Tostitos. It was, in fact, a game-winning field goal after the fact, uh, and not 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 an easy one, not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. So for him to come back to that spot, their first game in Eugene since 2018, because they were unable to play in 2020, and make a 43-yard field goal to win it, awesome night for Peyton Henry. Oh, yeah. Peyton Henry is lights out. Every kick. Yeah. And probably would have scored a touchdown. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in 2003, when the Huskies beat Oregon, Cody Pickett started at quarterback 
went 11 of 21 for 97 yards, I believe was injured at some point and replaced by Casey Paws, who was five of eight for 117 yards and two touchdowns to lead the victory. So Casey Paws was before Jake Browning, the previous quarterback to lead a win over Oregon for wow. Utah. It, <sighs> it had been a minute outside of those two games. This is the best one. This was an amazing week for things we didn't expect to happen for percentage chances of victory uh, <laughs> being blown out of the water. Things we didn't expect to happen happening. This was the best possible week, right? Even in the state of Oregon, there was some stuff we weren't so sure about. And everything came through. Even this very night, we have the Senate called. Huskies beat Oregon. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing day here in Seattle, Washington. I couldn't ask for anything more. And we get we to have- wake up. We get to wake up in less than 12 hours. Less than 12? It's it's barely 10 hours from now. In 10 hours, and we get to do it again, baby. <laughs> I'm not ready to go through this <clears throat> emotional journey again. <clears throat> I do not need to see the darkness I'm tomorrow. ready for that? I am by no stretch of the imagination ready for that. <laughs> but let me t- I mean, I don't want to talk too much about that game because possibly you will listen to this after that has been played and our emotions will be very different. And as we like to say on this podcast, we can't predict what our emotions will be, but hearing all the reports about all the Seahawks fans in Munich and the number of German Seahawks fans, it has been pretty awesome throughout the week. I just want to say that. Going Hell into yeah. that game. I mean, the other thing, I, I don't know if you want to talk at all about what this means for the Huskies in the PAC 12 race. I do. I was, I was considering just, ugh. I'm so frustrated about that loss at Arizona State. I'm frustrated about both of the losses. That loss at Arizona State, it's fucking bullshit. This is a top 10 team we're watching right now. This is a team that went into Oregon and beat the number six Ducks, right? Like, we did something that UCLA couldn't do. First win over a top 10 opponent for UW since Sark's win over USC, his first year as head coach. No. Oh, we lost USC in the national championship year. That's right. They're in the college football playoff year. And first win on the road against a top 10 team since the Apple Cup in the Northwest Championship 2003 year. Holy shit. Which was a game I was thinking about tonight. did not beat a top 10 team his entire tenure? I don't believe so, no. Wow. That is is one steady-ass coach, though. Chris Peterson beat all the bad uh, That's Okay, Oregon is the highest-ranked opponent they've beaten since then. So possibly okay. the Stanford was in the top 10 in 2016. Oh, that's they, But they might have been lower in the top 10 than that. That doesn't count. Any win against Stanford doesn't count. <laughs> wow. It'll never feel this good to beat Stanford. Sorry. Oh, no, that, no, that is 100% fair. We did not do an emergency podcast on that game. Yeah, Stanford was ranked number seven when they won that game in, in and Colorado was also ranked number nine when they beat them in the Pac-12 championship. So Chris Peterson did beat some top 10 teams, just none wow. ranked quite as high as this one. Steven Montez. Yes. Tacoma's own, drinking the Heidelberg in his Hell own. Hell yeah. Uh, so the there's a path, but it's very complicated because basically what the Huskies need is for UCLA to be the only team in the Pac-12 that finishes with one loss because you lose the head-to-head tiebreaker with UCLA. You need Oregon to finish with two losses and be part of that tiebreaker with you. Yeah, I mean, they're playing Utah next week. We'll see what Bo Nix's status is. only has one loss. Well, Utah would then... I I think, actually, it's more plausible for the Huskies if Oregon beats Utah. I don't think Utah's going to lose to Colorado in their rivalry game. We need... Oregon to beat Utah and Oregon State to then beat Oregon. Okay. In that rivalry. Not impossible. Oregon State's that U- one. 
Where's the Civil War at? I am. I'll, I'll need to look that up. UCLA needs to beat USC next week, crucially. Okay. I'll cheer unless, for that. Unless UCLA somehow loses at Cal in their final, final Pac-12 game. Does USC have a Pac-12 loss? Uh, to USC's one Pac-12 loss is to Utah. So if it's a it's a four-team tie between Utah, Oregon, USC, and UW. UW will be the only team of that group that has not lost to any of those other teams because Utah okay, lost let's... to USC or UC, USC lost to Utah and Utah in that scenario would have lost to Oregon. Uh, yeah, they lose to Let Oregon. Let me ask you another question though. Let's say that it's not the Pac-12. Is there is there a New Year's Six possibility or is there just too many Pac-12 teams? I think there's probably too many Pac-12 teams, but if you win out, I suppose you can't it's rule only it out. two more I games, mean... right? Am I... Are there you more? Yeah. Yes. It's only Colorado and Wazoo. Like yes. winning out doesn't necessarily, it's not like where it's, you know. It doesn't mean what it used to October. mean. October. Yeah. The uh, Winning out was a lot harder before tonight. The Oregon-Oregon State game is in Corvallis this year. Hell yeah. I mean, that's, love, and that's the thing. It. They do have a one game losing streak though at Austin's. So I think we should take that into account. <laughs> After a 23-game winning streak. Not not quite as impressive as ending Miami's winning streak with the Lammy in Miami. That's all we do. But still pretty streets. good. This is what I talked about on the on the regular pod this week. Like, part of what's strange about the UW-Oregon rivalry, like, obviously it makes sense that Oregon has dominated the rivalry in the past years. But since 2003, like, Oregon has lost to all sorts of shitty teams to ruin their college football playoff hopes and screw up the Pac-12's college football playoff hopes. And never has that team been UW. And it's nice. Obviously, UW is a good team. This is not like them losing to Arizona State a number of times when they were completely unranked. But it's nice to finally be that team pulling the 13 and a half point upset on Oregon. Oh, they're going to be showing everybody in that college football playoff committee all about Bo Nix's ankle on the drive. <laughs> I, I don't think the college football playoff committee cares they don't give about a that one. They don't give a fuck, Oregon. <laughs> so uh, anything else to say on this one before we go out? It was a beautiful win. Everything about it was incredible. Fuck Oregon. I, I also loved the way that social media lit up. So hopefully everybody gets a chance to listen to this before they go to bed tonight. On that note. Fuck Oregon. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Kenny Wheatley. You thought it was just motherfucking Tyrone Wheatley out there. That's what you thought. <laughs> you thought that was Tyrone Wheatley out there. But Tyrone Wheatley is gone Ever. It's over. I mean, the he whole is, I era actually, is finished. We own Austin Kenny. Stadium. We, Kenny Wheatley, Tyrone Wheatley, Kenny, Kenny Wheatley. Wheaton, Kenny Wheaton, I believe. Kenny Wheaton. God yes. damn it. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Let me redo that. Are you, do you have time to edit this? Yes. <laughs> Tyrone Wheatley. Yes. All right. That's the running back at Michigan, right? Yes. <laughs> Kenny, I, Kenny, I couldn't remember his name. I saw Jake one tweet about it with the fuck Kenny Wheaton. Can I put that at the end of the pod? Sure. All right. It's, I'm just, I don't, I'm whatever. I don't care about anything. I could put anything at the end of the pod. It was fucking great. <laughs>